BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Well, happy Tuesday, everybody. It's the Bauer and Rose Show, Bauer and Rose Podcast. Right here on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. In addition to our um, new return to the Sirius XM Channel 125, the Patriot lineup, Gary Bauer, it is, uh, I am today at home in rainy, cold Florida. So, Seriously? Yeah. I don't know. It's rainy and cold there already? Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't think it's going to be 70 today. So you know, there's this huge storm I do. across the U.S. Um, and uh, I think before it's over, everybody will be praying and hoping and wishing that they can immediately embrace global warming. Let me let me just say this for folks who are new to the podcast. By the way, if you are, whether you've heard us or not, give us a five star rating. Whether you like us or not, give us a five star rating, and recommend. You sound us- like one of those modern educators. You're getting an A no matter what. <laughs> and tell your friends about us. Tell your enemies about us too. Bauer is. Um, how do we put this? Bauer is there a term for a weather hypochondriac? Because every time, yes, you are. You are. Every time there's a, a hint of snowfall, Bauer goes into fits of apoplexy about how it's going to be the worst storm ever. And Bauer lives at the bottom of this street. So actually, and he lives in an, in the D.C. area, and actually since there's no snow removal service there, since it only snows there in the winter, uh, when it does snow, he is stuck. That's true. Well, I, I'm actually a big fan of weather. I think weather is one of the things that makes life interesting. Uh, I, I love reading about the weather. I enjoy experience. I, I, you know, one of the, one of the few things I like about the beach, because I don't like sand, and that's a big problem. One of the big things I like about the beach is that the weather changes so rapidly and it's so visible. You know, you really see a storm, and that's what I like about the mountains. You know, we, the Bauer clan used to go to Montana quite often, and it was incredible to go on a horseback ride and leave the ranch we were staying at and have it be 78 degrees and ride up the mountain on our horses. And by time we were coming back down a few hours later, it was 30 and <laughs> snowing. So, uh, uh, anyway, you know, here in Swampland, weather is just blah. It's hot in the summer and humid and in the winter, uh, with, you know, a quarter of an inch of snow, uh, the place goes into gridlock. Nobody, the line is, Tom, as you know, from being here for a while, is that, well, well, there are a lot of people that came from other parts of the country here in DC and they live in parts of the country 
that don't have snow. That explains their idiotic driving. Well, do they come from parts of the country that don't have rain? Because <laughs> even if it rains a little bit, people abandon their cars in the middle of the street. There was, there was one episode, I guess it was 2019. We're off on tangents, but what the heck? It's Christmas. 2019 when, you probably remember this, there was a, it was a windy day in Washington. And the president was out of town. I, of course, was working at the White House at the time. The president was out of town, and some idiotic bureaucratic moron uh, called a, a weather emergency for federal employees. And because of the wind. The wi- it was windy. Uh, wasn't raining, wasn't snowing, it was windy. Anyway, talk about... Well, I'll tell you, that the three listeners left after this <laughs> uh, compelling conversation. We've even lost Carol at this point. I, I'm about ready to, to, to sign off here. <laughs> well, I mean, we've got a lot to talk about. Biden crime family, Title 42 temporarily suspended, the sham of the fraud of the hoax of the scam of the Jan 6, uh, criminal referrals that took place uh, yesterday, that would be Monday, these, these show trial indictments. Here's my question. It's an easy one. You'll be able to smack it right off the tee. Who was the first person out of the gate yesterday to blame Trump for January 6th? Was it Liz Cheney? Was it Nancy Pelosi? Was it Chuck Schumer? No, it was Mitch McConnell. Seriously, did yeah. Mitch say that yesterday? Absolutely. He was responsible. There's one person responsible for January 6th, and we all know who it was. I need not comment on it any further, period, end quote. Wow. Uh, well, that's sad, Tom. Uh, it, it's sad. You know, um, I, I've, I have worked Put with your Mitch. joint Kentucky roots aside for a moment and give us an it, honest... Honest response. I've worked with Mitch McConnell by necessity off and on for years, um, decades, actually. And um, sometimes I've been disappointed. Sometimes I've been very happy. I think he will, um, you know, Donald Trump will go down in, in history, whatever else somebody else may think about him, for having nominated three fantastic Supreme Court justices to the Supreme Court. Mitch McConnell will go down in history in a in a conservative history uh for if not for anything else for getting those three through the United States Senate uh when we only had very slim uh uh numbers and we have uh you know senators like like Mitt Romney and Susan Collins so it it is a really it's just amazing to me that Mitch McConnell would, uh, yeah, is there a shortage of people willing to attack Donald Trump? Exactly. I mean, is this, is this something that, you know, because the, the Democrats and the media can't do enough of it, Mitch feels like, uh, he's gonna fill that vacuum. This is the problem I've got with Romney, Tom, and it's, and it, you know, in some ways it's even worse. So, uh, you know, Mitt Romney gets elected from Utah, and he makes it clear that one of the things he's going to be dedicated to is joining the lynch mob against Trump, as if there weren't enough people in Washington that from the very day that uh, uh, Trump came down the escalator in New York uh, were committed to, to destroying him. Uh, you, you know, we've said it, we'll say it again, um, two parties... Two political parties in Washington, the evil party and the stupid party, 
I'll, I'll let our listeners guess uh, which one the Republicans are. And and by the way, Tom, if you're if you're stupid long enough, that becomes evil. You know what I mean? Because like, you're empowering the evil party by being the stupid party. Why are Beltway Republicans not all? <clears throat> certainly not all, but enough. So damned afraid of a government shutdown. I mean, here we've got, what, 15 days left, 14 days left in this lame duck Congress to loot and steal us blind until a new Congress takes its seat, what, on January 3. Voters last month, three weeks ago, sent a direct message to the country and to Congress giving Republicans control but Democrats are now out racing to spend two trillion more dollars that we don't have uh, before the clock runs out. Now, here's it, <laughs> the issue is uh, it, because it's uh, a, a budget issue, a spending issue. This so-called omnibus bill, which I hasn't even been published yet, it's going to be two to three thousand pages. Senators will have maybe two to three hours to peruse three thousand pages. They're, they're already in a couple of hours, Tom. Going to have a an important procedural vote to move it, even though they haven't been given copies of it yet. Well, here's the thing: in order for this thing to fly. Because it's a 50-50 Senate at present, before it turns 51-49 the other way. For this to move, 10 Republican senators will have to vote for it. 10. Now, I don't know whether they're going to get the 10. McConnell says he wants to sign it, and he's got six or seven votes already. The question, and this is another easy one for you, I'm, I'm uh, laying off you today. If the situation were reversed... What is the likelihood that one, let alone two, let alone ten Democrats would buck their party on an issue that their voters feel so strongly about? They wouldn't dare do this while people paid attention, but now they're being lionized by the New York Times, by big media, by corporate media. Uh, because they're, quote-unquote, getting things done for the American people in the lame duck session of Congress. I saw, maybe it was Andy McCarthy, uh, quote, the late comedian Milton Berle, uh, you can send a man to Congress, but you can't make him think. Yeah, great, great line. Tom, look, uh, the, the Tea Party movement uh, was driven by a lot of things, but, but the number one thing it was driven by was out-of-control uh, government spending and government deficits and uh, and forever expansion of the size of government. So the Tea Party movement springs up virtually spontaneously all around the country and starts going to town hall meetings being held by members of Congress and so forth, demanding fiscal responsibility, et cetera, et cetera. And what was the reaction of the National Republican Party here in Washington, D.C.? The, the Republican Party establishment. It was like, well, wait a minute, who are these people? Well, what you, what, what are they doing? You know, uh, well, well, Senator, are you in favor of the Tea Party movement? Well, I'd like to, I need to find out a lot more. You know, how, how often does a movement spring up that provides new energy, new volunteers, uh, n n new votes 
for a political party. Almost never. But the Tea Party movement did. And before it was over, Republicans were joining the Democrats in condemning Tea Party extremists for insisting on things that just went too far, like balanced budgets. Same thing goes on with uh, the American First movement or the American populist movement that Donald Trump launched with his, you know, Shouldn't the president of the United States get up every morning thinking to themselves, how can I make America number one? How can I keep America number one? Does any foreign leader of any government in the world get up in the morning saying to themselves, how can I make Germany number 20? No, every country wants their country to be at the top of the list, right? And that's what Donald Trump ran on. We're sick and tired, he said to the American people, of putting America always last. So we're going to put it first, and I'm going to get tough on this, and I'm going to do that. And immediately, the Republican Party establishment became catatonic. Who are these people? I haven't seen any of them at the country club before. Who do they think they are? Tom, I want to remind people because I think it is so illustrative of the problem in Washington, and it's bigger than just ideology. It was reported and I believe confirmed that during uh, Donald Trump's inaugural address, he had one of the most eloquent portions of that speech in which he talked about how after we gave communist China most favored nation trading status by letting them into the World Trade Organization, that the United States lost like 50 or 60,000 factories shut down and millions of American working class jobs, jobs that Men of all races, men and women of all races had, had held for decades. It's how families saved enough money to put their children through college, even though they didn't get to go through college. Jobs shipped overseas. Many of those jobs shipped to China. And, and Trump said, and while all that was happening and Main Street stores got shuttered up, factories went into ruin, here in Washington, everybody got richer. And at that moment, according to witnesses that were on the stage, several people heard George W. Bush lean over and say to whoever was sitting next to him, this is some strange ash blank blank tea. That's what he thought the observation of what had happened to the American worker and to American factories, and how, while the country fell behind, Washington got more powerful, got richer. Houses here alone are worth more than many people make in virtually a lifetime. When Donald Trump makes that observation, George W. Bush, the Bible-quoting president of the United States, who my fellow Christians and evangelicals loved, showed zero understanding of what was clearly a truthful and accurate observation. And And as we've talked about, Tom, I debated George Bush in 2000 in presidential debates, and he and I got our most heated on two issues, the sanctity of life and on trade with communist China. And, of course, the irony, we've just had 
a series of reports come out from independent think tanks as well as our own Defense Department, the Defense Intelligence Agency. China now has the biggest army in the world. It's increasing at an extraordinary rate. They have border disputes with every country they border, and China borders more countries than any country in the world. And they're doing all of this, Gary, with our money. We send them $400 billion a year. That's what our trade deficit is, meaning we transfer nearly half a trillion dollars a year to the Chinese Communist Party. At the same time, they send us fentanyl that kills 100,000 Americans a year. Hide your uh, power and bide your time. That was China's motto for 40 years from Deng Xiaoping until uh, President Xi more recently. That was the theme for China's rise. And now they think they've succeeded. They think they've gotten to the point where they now have enough power that they no longer need to bide their time. They think they have enough power to, uh, to act now. And we are spending money we don't have by the, by the trillions. The opposition party, the Republican party, uh, isn't united, can't stand together, can't even stop another 1.7 trillion from going out the door. Uh, China, I, I mean, they're, they're, they're transforming manufacturing, logistics, healthcare, virtually every other sector of the economy. It already is way ahead of us in AI. They've got these incredible, uh, robotic automated uh, ports and warehouses when we're still thinking about it. And the establishment, personified by the George Bush wing of the Republican Party, the Bill Clinton wing of the Democrat Party, now all Democrats, uh, refused to believe that this could happen. And now it's happening before our eyes. I, I, I mean, China, uh, we thought, you know, they'd be great at making toasters, but they could never make iPhones or iPads or Teslas. Well, they make a lousy toaster, too. I mean, almost anything <laughs> that's made there... Is seems to be pre-programmed to break quickly. <laughs> uh, yeah, you, you know, Tom. It really, it it is. It's. I sometimes I'm infuriated. Sometimes I'm just very, very sad that uh, our leaders could be so stupid at this very moment, Tom. We're in the middle of winter. There I go talking about the weather again. Uh, you know, there's a lot of viruses going around. That happens every winter, right? No, no particular surprise. We have remnants of COVID right now. There's also this RSV virus that, that hurts, can really, or is really a danger to very young children, infants, and to older people. Uh, there, there's a seasonal flu and all the rest of it. All of these things means that there's uh, demands by the American public for various over-the-counter drugs, as well as the prescription drugs that an increasing number of older Americans take. Americans are just figuring out now, although the people that govern us clearly knew, we're just finding out now that something like 80% of all prescription medications and a lot of the over-counter medications that we take for colds and flu, etc., are either made in communist China or the chemical ingredients that make up these medicines are supplied by communist China. Gary, Gary, it's 96% of antibiotic precursor chemicals are made in China. Maybe it's, it's, either, a, maybe it's a little less than that now, but when 
at the end, at, when we were in the middle of the pandemic, 96% of all precursor chemicals required for the production of antibiotics were sourced from or originated in China. 96. We couldn't make penicillin without China. Yeah, you know, so I mean, see, to me, if our democracy that we keep hearing about we have to protect, uh, or as I prefer to call it, and you prefer to call it, our constitutional republic, if it was a healthy constitutional republic, if it was a healthy democracy for for those who prefer the word democracy, uh, th- there ought to be demonstrations all over America by outraged Americans who vote regularly for one of the two major political parties and expect them to come here and when they make appointments at the Pentagon and at HHS and all these other departments where they're making salaries that most Americans can only dream of, will in the meetings they have that somebody will say, uh, you know, Joe, I noticed the other day we depend on our medications from a country that intends to replace us. Um that sounds like a potential national security problem. But it appears nobody ever said those things or thought about those things. And, I, and then, Tom, I've become enough of a cynic after being here for so long that I suspect in some cases people knew, but it didn't bother them because they were making a lot of really unbelievable amounts of money by turning a blind eye to how uh, not only was our lunch being stolen by communist China, but in, in some ways, the whole freaking country has been stolen we've, by communist China. We've talked about this. I've thrown out these numbers. Uh, and you were very involved in the Reagan administration. Uh, we committed during the Cold War about 1% of our GDP during the period of the Cold War to R&D, research and development, the equivalent today of about $300 billion a year, which is about 1% of our GDP in current dollars. That 1% back during the Cold War gave us computers, lasers, optical networks, uh, the Internet, um, and everything else that went into uh, uh, the modern age. And another statistic I've thrown out before, which always depresses you, <laughs> today, China graduates seven engineering PhDs for every one of ours. And 80% of the PhDs that are awarded by our top universities, 80% go to foreign students. Half of them are Chinese. Look, China's going to figure out how to work around our controls. We can't prevent them anymore from reinventing chip technology, you know, any more than they can... Um, uh, Stop us from imploding. I, I, I mean, what we well, Tom, can't look. We we might be we're, we're ahead of them in several categories. I don't. You know, I mean, I just don't want to be Cassandra's here. We're we're ahead of them. We we're we more graduate. innovative. Absolutely, we're totally. Well, no, no, no. See, you 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 anticipate what I was going to say. Sorry, uh, I I needed to have my sarcasm uh, voice <laughs> on here. We graduate a hundred thousand more every month of young Americans who can name all 52 genders. The average Chinese youth still thinks there's only two, men and women. We have more graduates coming out of our finest schools that have been trained to do film producing and making than any nation in the world. And they all dream that they're going to go to Hollywood and make millions of dollars oh, no, producing all films. All I'm yeah. saying is... 
if we committed 1% of our GDP back during the Cold War to R&D that would help national security, and, I, you know, I know a lot of our listeners, they hear the term uh, industrial policy, uh, they get weak in the knees, their knickers go starched. National security trumps free markets. I'm a free market guy. I'm a low-tax guy. But we must... We must reinvest in our uh, competitive capacities. You're right. We are more innovative than them. We are more creative than them. We need a massive industrial scale uh, investment policy that will help us compete in a world in which China devotes God knows how many hundreds of billions every year in their sectors to overtake us. And we're not doing that right now. What we're talking about is, you know, the Democrats came out yesterday, well, the border crisis, you know, Gary, the border crisis, A, it's the Republicans' fault, and B, we're dealing with it, says Corinne Jean-Pierre. Uh, we're dealing with it by asking Congress to spend a billion and a half more dollars to what? Build more wall? No. We're dealing with it by asking Congress to open up more processing centers. So it'll make the problem worse. So it'll be easier to process illegal aliens into the country. That's our solution, says Joe Biden's spokes flack. And nothing about reinvigorating our economic dynamism. Nothing. You know, Tom, uh, I, have, I, I must admit I have some admiration for the ability of the other side to, uh, wherever they have their meetings or however they communicate, to come up with a, an idea, a concept, a, a talking point, and literally within 24 to 48 hours, every aspect of leftist, uh, the leftist establishment in America is all on the same talking point. Not only the White House press secretary, but all their cabinet officials, the Democrats on Capitol Hill, the, the media, which is the press arm of the Democrat Party, the Hollywood types, they're all saying the same thing. You touched on it just then. Uh, a couple of days ago, the point was put out there that uh, the border is not open. The border is closed. But Republicans keep saying the border is open, and thus they are responsible for this massive influx of millions of so-called migrants pouring to the border because they have heard the Republicans loud and clear saying that the border's open, and they haven't heard enough of the, the White House saying that the border is closed. Now, Tom, that... That doesn't even qualify as gaslighting. I mean, it makes no logical sense. If the border was actually closed, when the migrants hearing Republicans saying the border is open ran to the border, they would be very upset to find out the Republicans have been lying to them and that the border is closed and they would go back home very angry at the, re at the Republicans. But that's not what happens. They go to the border they see that indeed it is open and the Biden administration has a huge problem of where to put them. So, it, I mean, and their yes. solution to this quote unquote problem more is money, to right? build more facilities yes. to accommodate more illegals, not we, to stop them. We have an equivalent of a big hole in the roof. We, we have a border equivalent of that. There's a hole in the roof 
and water's pouring in, right? At the border, there's a big hole and illegal migrants are pouring in. So what does the Biden administration say when they see the hole in the roof with water pouring in? We need more money for more mops instead of closing the hole in the roof. Which which goes to show this is something. It's funny. A, they deny that the border is open. Yet, B, they congratulate themselves for the border being open and for us having the facility and the love and the open hearts to accept what now, I think the Center for Immigration Studies says, we are approaching 5 million illegals since January of 2021. And by the way, I I just looked at the clock. Yeah, let me make one point because I was. We're going to get shot if we don't take a break. Go ahead. We probably will get shot anyway. Uh, You know, they also say, "Look, we have this is good for America. We need bodies. We need men and women. We need people. Our birth rate is way down." This from the party that is moving heaven and earth to guarantee that we abort at least a million babies a year. Unbelievable. You're listening to the Bauer and Rose podcast brought to you by our good friends and partners at JustTheNews.com and SiriusXM, the Patriot Channel 125. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome back, everybody. Tom Rose, Gary Bauer with you. That would be Gary Bauer and Tom Rose if you're uh, interested in in uh, age before beauty. We're here our IQ before. Well, uh, all right, all right. You had to, you had to bring that up. You had to bring the two things I want to hit in our our final segment today. The uh, January six. You know what? I'm gonna. You know what? I'll, I'm gonna save the January six, and I want to hit this one because a lot of folks might not have seen it on Sunday. The New York Times ran this absolutely despicable. I know that'll shock you. Absolutely despicable lead editorial about Israel and her incoming Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu. Um, it accused Netanyahu of A, being a racist, B, being an aspiring dictator, and C, of course, being a prime threat to democracy. And furthermore, it then went on to call upon the Biden administration to uh, act harshly against it. Now, unlike too many American politicians in awe of the gray lady, a hats off to Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu for smacking back at the New York Times. Listen to what he said. Quote, after burying the Holocaust for years on its back pages and demonizing Israel for decades on its front pages, the New York Times now disgracefully calls for undermining our elected incoming government. Now, uh, th- this is the, the offending sentence in the New York, well, the whole Editorial was disgusting, but here's what really got me. Quote, this is from the Times editorial. You probably saw it, but many of our listeners probably didn't. Quote, moderates in Israel must plan energetic resistance to legislation that would curtail the powers of the Israeli Supreme Court, the rights of the Arab minority, and threats to the LGBTQ 
plus ampersand hashtag F9 community. They deserve support from the American people and from the Biden administration. Now, uh, can I make a couple quick points? Yes, yes, you may. First of all, they are, the New York Times, the, and they're working hand in hand with the government. There's no question about it. Um, the Biden administration is now trying to export the same threat to democracy charge that works so hell, works so well. I, that's a Freudian slip there. Works so well in Israel. Secondly, and this is my big important point, and then I'll let you run. Regarding the Supreme Court, most people here don't know much about the Israeli Supreme Court. You can hardly blame them, uh, but those who do know are well aware that if there's any institution in the state of Israel that needs dramatic reform, it's the Israeli Supreme Court. The Israeli Supreme Court, first of all, it's very left-wing, which, okay, fine, and they are distinguished legal scholars, unlike some of ours. Yet here's the most important point. The Israeli Supreme Court appoints itself a retiring justice on the Israeli Supreme Court gets to pick his or her successor. They appo- Can you imagine Elena I've Kagan? I've never heard of such yes. a thing, Tom. And I, I think I know a lot about Israel. I clearly don't. Um, I mean, I've been there four times, you know, but I still, I had never heard that. That is like a perpetual mistake. Exactly. You give one bad justice, he's going to just give one bad justice over and over and over again. And it comes from uh, the biblical construction of the Sanhedrin, the biblical court, which was a, you know, was A, it was 2,700 years ago. <laughs> Wokeness <laughs> hadn't even been born yet, right? <laughs> no, and, and uh, these were people that originally came out of, out of deep scholarship and commitment and all that kind of stuff. And the, 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 the final thing I'll say is that, that Israel is a uh, parliamentary democracy. We're a constitutional republic, meaning like in the UK or uh, other parliamentary democracies. Parliament is supreme. There's no such thing as a balance of power. So the Supreme Court is not superior to Parliament. And yet, um, according to Israeli law, they go out and they make all these decisions that they have no authority to make. Um, it, 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 it subverts, even ignores Parliament. And unlike in our system, there is no balance of power. So if there's one institution in Israel that desperately needs reform, it's that crazy Supreme Court. Yeah, you know, Tom, I mean, I, not the, I guess I'm, I'm probably in danger here of going off the rails a little bit. I mean, th- th- that is a, an amazing summary, and I, I thank you for it. If I, if this is news to me about your, the Israeli Supreme Court, I'm sure it's news to a lot of our listeners. But you know, I think about the fact that that American leftists and progressives are increasingly anti-Israel, and I. I know this will be misinterpreted by some, but American leftists and prof- and, and the, the political class, leftist political class and progressives are increasingly anti-American. Mm-hmm. Uh, that being the America that we had and enjoyed from the revolution all the way up until about 20 years ago, when what took hold of the left, and now it's on steroids, 
is this idea that America has an evil past, that uh, we were born uh, out of slavery and we committed genocide. And it's not just uh, statues that represent the Confederacy that have to be torn down. It's the statues of the founding fathers. It's, uh, you, you know, the heroes today are the, are the people that kneel during the national anthem. Um, it just goes on and on and on. And so it leads me to conclude that powerful forces um, in the United States, um, thankfully they're not as powerful in Israel, but they're growing, I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, are against Judeo-Christian civilization. They literally want to redefine what that civilization stands for. We used to say that, for example, American influence ought to spread all over the world because we will bring with us ideas like the consent of the governed, the, you know, the, the, the uh, balance of power, um, the, the right of people to vote, the human dignity of every person, etc. Those things are all being jettisoned as we talk nonstop about uh, slavery and American evilness and all the rest of it. And it's being replaced with a new set of values. Everywhere America goes, we will bring with us the idea that women have a human right to murder the baby in the womb. There are 52 genders, and if you don't accept that, as Biden suggested the other day, you are the same thing as an anti-Semite. If you do not accept that boys can become girls and girls can become boys, they're completely redefining what it means for American influence to grow around the world. And Tom, not to get too far afield, I think this is one of the reasons the American military is having a hard time filling the ranks. Because the ranks have traditionally been filled by young men and women raised in homes that believed in Judeo-Christian civilization. Not they didn't they weren't proud to be an American be, Americans because of abortion on demand or gender nonsense or all this other crap. Uh, and, and they certainly didn't think of America as a place that would be hostile to religion being in the public square and religiously motivated people participating in the public life of the country. And as we declare war on all those things, fewer and fewer American families will be willing to sacrifice their sons and daughters to fight our war. And I I always got to correct you on this. It's not hostility to religion. It's hostility to Christianity. Mm. Now, look, look, the and, and here's the example of that. Here's the testament to that. The tremendous criticism by the left that's now being labeled at Netanyahu and the Israeli government that he's put together is that he's got two people in this government, neither of whom I like, by the way. I don't like him at all. This one guy, Ben Gvir, is a total provocateur. He's bad news. I don't like him at all. Is how much more of a threat they are to uh, democracy when the previous government, the previous Israeli government, had as a member... A Muslim Brotherhood 
anti openly anti-democratic, openly anti-Zionist, uh, and viciously anti-LGBT uh, uh, partner in the government. At the Muslim Brotherhood Party held the previous government together. I don't remember any condemnations of that government by our left-wing establishment. Quite the opposite. They were hailed and extolled. This is historic. It's the first government to ever include an anti-Israel, anti-Zionist, uh, anti-LGBT uh, Muslim Brotherhood affiliate in the government. So this is what I don't understand. When Muslims call for throwing gays off buildings, when Muslims call for the end of, of uh, the Jewish Democratic State of Israel, the left either yawns or, or covers for them or outright supports them. Yeah, the, Tom, the, the explanation for that is called intersectionality. Uh, and it, it means that, uh, if you want to be part of the progressive movement, you will align with individuals and groups about, with whom you may have serious disagreements, as long as in the big picture, those movements and individuals have the same final goal, which is to lay low Western civilization. Yeah, Christianity, Christianity, Christianity. That's the issue. And I think Republicans, conservatives, and frankly, you people, i.e. Christians, (laughs) uh, make a big mistake. I understand it. Same reason Jews are uncomfortable calling out anti-Semitism or whatever because you don't want to get labeled or considered uh, self-aggrandizing, self-interested. But the real threat here, uh, we talk about religious liberty, but it's not Judaism that's threatened. It's not Muslim. It's not Islam that's threatened. It's not Buddhism that's threatened. These are direct darts, direct shots, direct targets at Christians. It's anti-Christian bigotry. And I think uh, we don't do ourselves or anybody else any favors by trying to euphemize it uh, by calling it anti-religious, you're you're right, Tom, and I stand corrected. It it, it is, uh, I, you know. Now, look, I don't have to lecture you as a Jew that anti-Semitism is a major problem, and you've got a country in Iran that um, probably will have soon, if they already don't, the capacity to uh, to pull off another uh, Holocaust simply by you know, dropping three nuclear bombs on, on Israel because that would do it. Uh, Israel's a small country and the radiation and the rest of it would do it. And it may very well be that the fanatical uh, mullahs of Iran, particularly as they see their own country perhaps unraveling, uh, may be tempted to please Allah by doing exactly that. So there is an existential threat to, to the Jewish people. But, but you're, you are also correct that there's no doubt that the, that the target here is Christianity. 100%. And I think, Tom, it's the same reason. It, well, there's a lot of reasons that the family's a target. Why? Because the family stands in the way of the project of the left, which is a very secular, neo-Marxist, secular type of, of state. But which so family? Said, Does the Muslim family stand in the way? Does the Jewish well, family? It's the Christian, it's the Christian concept. Right. Uh, yeah, no, it, it, that's true. But they see, I think, I think they see the Christian family being more numerous is the thing that they've got to, got to do away with first. Uh, and they also see Christianity itself. Um, and the church as one of the impediments. Oh, yeah. You know, the, 
when I say Bible Belt, I, I have fond memories of growing up in Kentucky, and I know what that sort of means, you know. Uh, you should live worse than being in a community where people spend a lot of time reading the Bible. You know, that's actually going to be a pretty good, pretty good place to live. Uh, but to the left, the, 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 you know, the Bible Belt, that, that's hysterical. That's something to be mocked. Oh, those know nothings or whatever. So there's not only an effort and a really overt hostility toward Christianity, there is also a very well-organized attempt underway to split the church itself, to say to certain elements of the Christian church, you know, if you just would get a little bit more compassionate about understanding the 52 genders and realizing that, you know, uh, that God loves everybody, and, and that includes people that, you, you know, want to convince uh, eight-year-olds that they ought to take puberty blockers uh, so they could change to the uh, to the sex they prefer. Uh, and there and there are, Tom, and, and I know you've seen it, I, I've seen it. Um, I see more churches in uh, the Washington, D.C. area... Oh, with the LGBTQ plus flag flying outside the church than I do flying the American flag outside the church. Oh, my goodness. Because Much the American more. flag, you know, is associated with really bad things. And in those churches, I don't know, but I'm guessing you would know more than me. What percent of people that actually go to those churches, and they're diminishing in number by the day, are actually LGBT? I mean, do they go to church? I mean, I'm generalizing, obviously. Of course, there are some gay people who are churched, but... Are there a lot of them? Uh, I don't know. I, um, I, I, I just know that I, I've got, when I drive home, I, I have to avoid glancing in certain directions. Because, you know, when you're driving home, your blood pressure should go down. <laughs> but every time I look and see some church with a cross and a steeple or whatever, and then there's the, you know, the rainbow flag and a big sign saying, you know, everybody welcome here. Right. You Muslims know, well, welcome in the church. Of course, conservative <laughs> Christians are not welcome in the Christian church, but Muslims are welcome. We got to skedaddle because we're out of time. Any final shots? Uh, well, uh, it's a sign of just how bad things are, Tom, that we can't get in everything <laughs> we have to say in a daily podcast. You know, we well, might have to do this twice a day instead of twice a week. Oh, my goodness. I, I don't think I could handle that. In any event, this was a fun one, a good one, and we'll talk to you in a couple of days. It'll be our final show of 2022. I'm going to hit Bauer with all kinds of uh, retrospective questions about 2022, and we'll see how prophetic he is, how clairvoyant he is, by asking him to peer into his crystal ball and tell us what's going to happen in 2023. <laughs> I can't wait, Tom. I, even I will listen to that episode. <laughs> we'll talk soon. Have a great one.